Hello and welcome to Additive Insight, your source for news, interviews and comment on the latest 3D printing and additive manufacturing intelligence brought to you by the TCT content team. I'm Laura Griffiths, TCT Head of Content, and I'm joined by our senior content producer, Sam Davis. Hello, Sam. Hello, Laura. How are you? I'm good, thank you. But thinking about this week's episode, we're already on another editorial roundtable. Can you believe that means that we are just a couple of days away from September and you going to IMTS because this has come around so, so quickly? Uh, I can't believe that. And I don't um, I don't even want to think about how many working <laughs> days that is between today and IMTS because there's um, a whole magazine for us to write and yeah. go into production for. Um, <laughs> and I, I already know because I've got a couple of days off between now and then. It is not a lot of time at all. Um, no. And ideally, I don't want to be in Chicago writing for the magazine, but seems inevitable at this point. So yeah, I don't know about you, but anytime I try and write a story on a plane, I just can't seem to do it. Can't seem to get into the space to write to do any kind of work. I don't. I'm really envious of these people that can do that. Yeah, there's not a, like I'm not even a big movie fan, but when there's like access to about 200 movies <laughs> in front of my face. I'm not doing any work really, yeah. um, but then it means I'll have to do it while I'm, because I'm always jet lagged when I go to America, mm. really jet lagged. So I don't know. This is just a pre-warning that if you bump into me at IMTS and I'm very sleepy and stressed and busy, it's not you. It is my time management. And also definitely a warning for the premium content you're sure to get in the next issue of TCT magazine. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Which will be premium because you'll edit it from from the office and it's very, very good. So I will be okay. I'll have the benefit of sleep. Yeah. So yeah. (laughs) But on this week's episode, as I said, we're doing another editorial roundtable. We're gonna be running through some of the biggest AM news stories from the past month. And the top stories that we're gonna cover today are Stratasys acquiring Cavestro's additive manufacturing business, Boeing and Northrop Grumman joining the AM Ford initiative. Divergent Technologies, printing parts for Aston Martin, and Montana becoming the first US state to give broad regulatory approval for 3D printing in construction. So a nice variation of topics today, and they're not all acquisitions, mm-hmm. yay. Um, but before we do, if you do enjoy listening to Additive Insight, if you're new to Additive Insight, we encourage you to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. We've got some great stuff coming up, including more innovators and innovators conversations, and our back catalogue is filled with insights from 3D printing experts at NASA, uh, Deutsche barn xerox women 3d printing loads more stuff so um please have a scroll through and subscribe whatever you listen to your podcast so let's get into the first story then and probably the biggest so this industry is of course is no stranger to big acquisitions but i think this is one of the bigger ones so stratasys has acquired crevestos or is about to acquire crevestos additive manufacturing business and sam i know you dug into this one a little bit more so i'll let you take this one yeah um as you mentioned we Um, I think we could have made this whole episode about acquisitions um, because Carbon have just taken over Parramatta's 3D systems, buying out DP Polar, but um, probably the biggest of the month and the one we're going to focus on is Stratasys buying um, Cavestro Additive Manufacturing, which is its fourth acquisition of the last, I guess, 18 months, couple of years. Um, And it's adding Cavestro AM to its polymer portfolio and that um, that already includes, you know, Origin, RPS, R3D, as well as FDM and Polyjet offering. Um, and Covestro AM is made up of the old 
DSM 3D printing business, which includes the Somos and Adigy brands. Somos being its photopolymer brand and Adigy for uh, filaments and powders. Um, as well as that, the, it, within Clarent AM, there's also, Cavestro AM, apologies, is also the Clarent 3D printing <laughs> business that DSM acquired before it was then acquired by uh, Cavestro AM. Um, so there was also actually some ongoing AM activity inside Cavestro prior to its acquisition of DSM's 3D printing business and all together um, that currently amounts to around 60 additive manufacturing materials um, that are commercially available today plus an IP portfolio that includes hundreds of patents that are already granted and mm-hmm. hundreds of patents that are pending um, and so Stratus has moved to incorporate the Cavestro IM team and materials to reinforce the strategy it's been talking around about around polymer additive, man- additive manufacturing it wants to be the leader in that space it wants to take um you know this industry from prototyping to manufacturing and as part of that um ambition uh Stratus ceo yoav zaif was telling tct um at the start of august that you need the best people around you um to go on that journey and he believes that the portfolio of Cavestro am um, is the best liquid resin and powder offering um, within 3D printing that you can buy today. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why Cavestro is divesting that offering um, is to focus on its core industries. Um, and I think it would be fair to say that when it acquired um, the DSM resins and functional materials business for $1.6 billion um, in 2021, It was more attracted to the company's powder coating resins and its radiation curing resins than the AM offering. The AM AM side of DSM just came along with its resins and functional materials business. Mm. Um, And it was always the idea of the 3D printing team within uh, DSM that they would align with a 3D printing hardware OEM. And I spoke to Hugo again this week, Hugo De Silva um, of DSM and Cavestro, this week, he's the VP of Cavestro AM at the moment um, for another f- uh, materials feature that we're working on. He reiterated that they always wanted to have, you know, kind of direct access to 3D printing hardware across a range of technologies like Stratus now offers. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was telling me when the um, the acquisition was announced that when Cavestro took over that DSM resins and functional materials business, the 3D printing team didn't really, uh, I guess, have like control of their own destiny. They they would took along, but they they already had this idea in their head. So, um, at some point in the last eighteen months, um, Hugo de Silva took that to the to the Cavestro board, outlining his desire to to be aligned uh, more closely with a three D printing hardware OEM. Mm. The board agreed um, to that thought it made sense and so they started engaging with companies like Stratasys and that's where the acquisition came about. Um, Stratasys didn't move for DSM 3D printing two years ago when Cavestro did um, basically because it, its focus was elsewhere at that point it was putting things in place to integrate the SAF technology from Zar3D, the SLA technology from RPS and the P3 technology from Origin um, but now it believes that for example, it can take SLA to the next level by adding the, the chemistry expertise of Cavestro AM. They also see opportunities in 
tuning existing polyjet materials to DLP, ethylene materials to work on DLP or polyjet. Um, and, and Hugo de Silva also suggested that there's several other very interesting technologies in the works. Um, and he also noted that when the DSM 3D printing business was taken over to Cavestro, they then had access to all of the chem- chemistry expertise of uh, Cavestro. Mm. They added some of that um, expertise and, and know-how to to their library, to their team, and now Stratasys in in the deal that um, I think is worth up to around $80 million of bringing all of that expertise with them. So they've not only got the original DSM 3D printing um, business and the Clarion 3D printing business, but also Cavestro's AM activities um, and people and knowledge and expertise as well. Um, so it's a pretty significant development, I think, yeah. for Stratasys. And um, obviously they've already got this really extensive portfolio of materials but owing to their um you know the the ip catalogue um and the hint from hugo that there's there's several interesting technologies in the works um should be some exciting things coming out of of that business in the future yeah it really does feel like this this 3d printing super team now doesn't it as you say with all of this combined expertise and the acquisitions that were already made at, at Cavestro and all the people they brought in there and then um, join up with Stratasys, who they've, they've been working with anyway on their like third party materials and uh, previously mm-hmm. um and we talk about this an awful lot you know we understand the conversation narrative is very much around materials being a real um innovator for uh, accelerating the industry for opening up new applications and uh, that sort of thing so bringing all this um expertise in, in-house is, is only gonna um accelerate that even further and based on all the acquisitions that Stratasys have made in the last few years, you know, you mentioned um, Origin, RPS, these um, resin-based technologies. This is just a really perfect fit for for that sort of thing. Um, and really, as you mentioned, Sam, doubles down on this whole thing that Stratasys is going for, where they want to be this leader in polymers. They they want to be the go-to shop for polymer 3D printing. And now, you know, they've, they've got all of these different types of polymer technologies in-house. They've really expanded that ecosystem in the last couple of years and now adding the materials expertise to that. Um, it feels that 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 ambition is is really just um, it, it's really materialised, and so that's that's really exciting to to hear. And I think it also it, it reminds us that um, you know we haven't seen very much from the metal side um, of of Stratasys in in the last couple of years. I know that that's kind of been not not really a, a focus point for them as they've moved on to this uh, this vision for accelerating on polymers but um it's very exciting very feels like feels like good news for the industry i know sometimes um acquisitions as we as we've seen and um, there's like a little bit of worry about how, how it's going to look in terms of like consolidation that that sort of thing but um this does feel like a, an exciting move for one of the biggest names in the industry to have all that added expertise um in-house and i'm sure we'll hear more about that maybe any materials that they're developing specifically for stratasys systems and also i'd be interested to see because you know, Cavestro's materials are used by a number of additive manufacturing companies. Like, how how is that going to work going forward? Are they still going to be able to do that? Is this an exclusive thing? You know, like, like are they going to be developing materials, you know, just for Stratasys Technologies now? Are they still going to be happy to be that third-party materials provider for, for other companies in the industry? Um, I don't really know what that looks like now. Maybe, maybe you do, Sam. Um, they didn't go into too much detail, but I did ask the question, and they did um, kind of reiterate that they're committed to that that open mm. materials strategy that they've that they've begun to adopt over the last year or two um 
I know that Kavestro AM sent out a a newsletter to um their their clients um and the press um to suggest that if there's any change to the business model they'll let their clients know. Um mm-hmm. but from from speaking to to Yoav, the CEO of Stratasys at the moment there wasn't didn't sound like there were any plans to kind of close it off and make it all exclusive to Stratasys. I think um they are they are committed to that open material strategy that they've adopted. Um and I think I do think that there's still you know, there's a, probably a reason why Stratasys have done it from a competitive standpoint. They'll mm. obviously have first dibs and that kind of thing and um they'll be able to really kind of because Kavestra's got such a broad portfolio of materials and broad expertise, it does yeah. match up quite well with their own broad hardware offering. So um there should be some some good combinations for Stratasys users out there. And it reminds me of a conversation I had years ago with um the Stratasys team at Rapid and they were making the point that um, I think it was at, re- at the beginnings of them starting to open up and team with materials suppliers. I think maybe they'd just announced a partnership with someone like Solvay. Mm. And the, the point was that we could do this and we could develop this, but it's just so much quicker to to partner up. Yeah. Um, and I think Stratasys obviously back their own expertise in-house. They've obviously opened up in terms of materials and we're already partnering with the likes of Cavestro as well as a, a load of other um, materials companies but if they want to make this polymer additive manufacturing thing for production not just prototyping a, a reality um, and they want to do that sooner rather than later it probably makes sense to bring such broad expertise in-house have it all um, not necessarily working under one roof but working under one company it's so much easier now for dsn to access hardware they don't have to you know, find the funding to buy it mm, yeah. anymore, um, or I guess Cavestro AM or, or whatever. You know, I think when you hear a brand name like Cavestro, you think of this giant um, chemicals company. Yeah. But the three D printing activity inside these businesses is often akin to more of a startup. Maybe in this case, DSM is you know much more established than a startup, but it's still a a smaller business than like you know a a BASF um you know that's geared towards traditional manufacturing so these are small outfits they do still need to procure the funding to buy the am machines to develop materials and you would think that this now fast tracks that um in terms of developing materials and and getting them out there because we hear all the time that you know that like the materials libraries within am still isn't big enough um, uh, for, for manufacturers they still want more um, and I think moves like this will help push that along. You would like to think as well that they do stick to the to the open materials approach. Um, we'll, you know, for now, we'll take them at the word that they're committed to that. Um, and I, I'd like to think that they were um, because I think that that's another thing that the industry demands. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Stratasys with its, you know, led by UF Zyfe over the last couple of years has seemingly so far embraced that idea whereas before obviously they were a bit of a closed shop in that regard so hopefully hopefully it all stays open and and hopefully you know the the way we're thinking about now in theory of this collection of materials experts alongside this um access to hardware really um as you say accelerates um things in terms of in terms of materials development and an am being used for production yeah and i think you're right though sam you know it's uh... 
materials, as much as they're this this thing for change in the industry, that there's something that you know that we need more uh, research development around in order to to make the technology better. It is also seen as a little bit of a bottleneck because of the availability of materials, the expensive materials as well. It's, as you say, the the actual additive manufacturing focuses inside these big chemical companies are not they're not a huge part of of their business. But you know you do have it's it's good to have that um that history behind a company like this and and have all of that those years of expertise and also the the, the gravitas that comes with uh, with a, a big brand like Cavestro that sort of thing and I don't know, that's why we're so happy to see more collaborations happen in this industry over the last like 10 years because you're right a lot of these big companies were quite closed off and it was this idea of okay we can just do well, we could do that in-house ourselves you know we can keep this to ourselves make materials just just for us and but no we've seen more more collaboration and while it's better for the actual um the, the machine manufacturers because it means that um you know that they're able to leverage that expertise from these materials companies as you say sam it's also better for the materials companies because maybe they couldn't afford you know a half a million um, pound machine to to bring in house and to test new things but these partnerships have made it so we can actually see more of that now and it, it's 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 a nice kind of give or take thing where this is happening across both sides now and it's to the benefit of both sides of the industry and so a, a massive acquisition like this is just a you know a, a, a huge example of that and i'm just really interested as we always say when we get to like the, the next round of events and i'm sure you'll see stuff at incs sam and we'll see stuff um at formex as well just interested to see um how this looks and what kind of new materials might come out of this partnership um, in the future yeah definitely i'll um i'll go and i'll go and pass by the stratosphere at imts and um we should say as well that there's a um explainer article on the TST Magazine website that features mm. insights from both Jörg uh, Zeif, Distratis CEO, and Hugo De Silva, the VP of Covestro AM. That should still be on the, the homepage of the TST Magazine website. And one of the one of the last things I'll say is at the end of that article, um, I asked the question, are, are acquisitions still on the agenda for Stratasys? Um, and they were quite honest in saying that, yes, um, mm. that they're looking everything's done within a, a framework and within a strategy but they still um they still might you know dip into the market and and see what else is out there and, and available for them to to bring into the stratus brand okay interesting then so we'll have to fill more podcasts with more acquisition news i don't think it's um it's going to end anytime soon especially when like we've not talked about it but carbon making its first acquisition ever oh, yeah. and getting parameters, I think um, there'll, be, there'll be loads more of this kind of thing. Um, yeah, like a, a complementary technology in that instance or whether it's companies like you might expect Carbon to do at some point in the future and broaden its portfolio. So moving on to the next story then, um, we have two major players that have joined uh, the AM Ford initiative established by the Biden administration in the US. So uh, we have Boeing and Northrop Grumman who have both decided to join this initiative. Um, the whole idea of this, uh, which we found out about in, in May, is basically bigger manufacturers are going to support smaller US-based suppliers in adopting 3D printing technology. Um, so it was a huge announcement uh, when it happened at the time. It was just before we got to uh, Rapid Plus TCT. So it was 
quite well timed that we were able to then go and speak to a lot of people on the show floor about what they thought of this you know the government putting more of a spotlight on additive manufacturing and also the these major players um helping those those smes as well to to, to adopt this technology and to start with and um, we had companies like ge aviation honeywell lockheed martin raytheon siemens um siemens energy sorry that had joined uh, this initiative to um, to kickstart that, and uh, now with another two a huge manufacturers joining uh, this initiative, it does feel like it's it's really really building, and there's there seems to be an awful lot of enthusiasm um, around it at the time. So, um, as I say, it was launched in May um, this year. It's a voluntary thing among large manufacturers, organised and supported by the Applied Science and Technology Research Organisation of America the Astro America, which is much easier to say. <laughs> um, so the addition of, of, of these companies really fits well with a lot of the companies that are already on this. As I say, aims to help more American companies adopt 3D printing and other high performance manufacturing technologies. Um, when we spoke to a lot of people on the show floor at Rapid Plus TCT, it seemed like a lot of the conversation uh, was around the ability for this uh, this initiative to really help de-risk supply chains which is something we've talked about an awful lot on this podcast and just throughout the magazine um and how 3d printing can be used um to really reshore manufacturing to localize manufacturing and this is a way of helping those smaller businesses who maybe um have just not dip their toes into manufacturing maybe not thought about it maybe um cannot invest in additive manufacturing that sort of thing for them to really um get involved and and leverage the benefits of this technology so um i just want to read just um one of the quotes from um one of the, uh, the senior advisor for industrial strategy at the white house office of management and budget sue helper who said um, a priority of this administration is to lower the cost of the goods and services that families rely on and one of the best ways to do that is to make more things in america with more secure and more resilient supply chains so there you go straight away and um, talking about supply chains there and bringing manufacturing um closer to home which we understand is one of the uh, main selling points of additive manufacturing uh, when they're when the application calls for it the idea that you can manufacture something close to the point of need and um, bring manufacturing um, in-house make products a lot faster um so i just think it's a really it's a really important step that two major companies like this have, have, have committed to this and Northrop Grumman says it's going to commit to targeting 50% of RFQ packages sent out for products, machinery, manufacturing tooling and manufacturing process development to utilize additive manufacturing or related technologies to be completed by US based um, SMM suppliers. So um, that is a, a huge commitment there for 50%. Um, Likewise, Boeing is part of Aim Forward is targeting an increase of Boeing qualified small and medium sized supply capacity by 30% and providing technical guidance and additive manufacturing for that. And um, technical guidance they say will help meet Boeing and industry qualification requirements, including Delta qualifications, and target small and medium sized suppliers to complete um, on request coating packages sent out for products that utilize additive manufacturing. So it's this um, this back and forth between the two where they're uh, really utilizing these networks of, of part suppliers. Um, but also these companies that have maybe, well, not maybe, we know they've been using additive manufacturing, are, are using their expertise and, and to help these smaller companies to um, understand what additive manufacturing fits in, which, you know, for these big companies, we understand it's a lot, um, well, there's two sides to this actually. It's a lot easier for these big companies to invest in additive manufacturing because they have the budgets, they're able to, to, um, to install these very expensive technologies, to test them out, um see what works but likewise there is certainly a benefit to smaller companies who are much more agile and don't have these um 
this legacy in place of doing things a certain way and having to go for all these like certain ways of doing things regulations that sort of thing which these bigger companies of course have and they've been in industries for hundreds of years or 50 years or whatever um there's much more I think emphasis on the fact that smaller companies can um can do things a little bit differently they don't have this thing of you know doing things the way they've always been done and that's historically been one of the problems with adopting additive manufacturing into these supply chains because once things are done a certain way it's very hard to get companies to change that because it's reliable and you know you have to go through all these lots of uh, regulatory processes to get um, any kind of new process qualified um, so I, I like this because it means that we're we are actually leverage, leveraging the benefit of those smaller companies that maybe don't have that in place and are willing to be a bit more um, innovative and, and really want to to try and use the next thing, which is going to to help, um, as I say, reshore additive manufacturing and, and use manufacturing for this like localized promise. And it's one of the things Demon's CEO, Barbara Humpton, actually spoke about at, at Rapid Plus TCT, you know, the idea of, um, of localised digital manufacturing, how Siemens is, is really pushing for that. And as one of those first companies that, that, that came on board this, this administration, they've committed um, an awful lot to that. So for Siemens Energy, for example, um, they're targeting to purchase 20 to 40% of total externally sourced AM parts and services from US-based suppliers and partners. It says it'll engage in 10 to 20 US SME suppliers to help improve the AM capabilities and also train 10 to 20 SME suppliers on inspection and post processing best practices so that's um that's a huge commitment there as the same in partners expertise from a company like Siemens which has got a huge AM capacity they've probably got one of the biggest AM capacities actually um across the globe if you think about all the smart factory sites and um you know that they're all the different Siemens businesses that, that come into that mobility energy um so it's it's very interesting to see this this nice crossover between larger companies and smaller providers and th this latest announcement of Boeing and Northrop Grumman who have long been using additive manufacturing I think they've only got a, a lot of great wisdom that, that they can share and they have such a they're such a big part of those supply chains the impact this could potentially have you know think about the the suppliers 50 percent of what they do go into additive manufacturing into smaller businesses and um, the impact that's going to have it should surely be really incredible yeah i think um i think it says a lot that you know you mentioned there that Bo boeing and norfolk grumman as well as a load of the other manufacturers already involved have long been using the technology it says a lot <laughs> that they're still willing to like make these commitments when they already get successes from it so they obviously mm -hmm. they're almost doubling down and seeing the value of it um and the other reason i think um these kind of commitments are great is because it's it's you know it's all well and good the likes of boeing um ge aviation siemens using the technology but there's a, an awful lot more small and medium businesses than these than these big guys um and the you know the price of the of a 3d printer doesn't change depending on who's buying it so mm -hmm. if if it can be made um you know affordable for these smaller companies isn't it? then that's obviously a a plus for the for the 3d printing uh industry um what i would say is like it's great to see so many big names and household names join and when they join their their detail and the, their commitments and their pledges and exactly what they're working towards i what I do wonder though is a how long is there anything that says how long and I know there isn't in the public announcements but how long they're committing to this for mm -hmm. um, and I would if possible like them to be really transparent about um, how close to the targets they've set they all get 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess if it's a, like a resounding success, we'll hear about it. But I think what I'd like to do, and this is like a cultural thing, and it, it might, it's a lot, I guess it's a lot to ask, but I'd like to know if they don't reach the targets, why they haven't. Mm-hmm. I think that's feedback that the industry could do of as well. Like if it, if things are too costly, because these these big companies, while they've got big budgets, they're all for profit. They're not just going to, um, you know, charitably give away money and that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Um, so if it can't work, they can't do the things that they want to do as part of this initiative, that feedback, whether it's public or not, I would hope is fed back to the to the OEMs um, mm-hmm. in this industry. Because I know from the conversations I had in Rapid, they all want to get involved in any way they can. Um so and I don't know whether those kind of things will be made public if there'll be um any like official collaborations in that sense, whether it'll just be a case of Boeing like to use this technology and they trust this technology so they'll make their purchases there. Mm-hmm. Um and that kind of thing. Um and there was one other thing um that struck me when I was looking at the, just the names of the, the manufacturers involved. Um I'd be interested to see like the details of um who and how from from the AM community is working with this initiative? Is the focus going to lean more towards metals and polymers, for example? Because when you look at those names, I don't know about you, Laura, but immediately it strikes me as they're all probably leaning towards metal. So I mm, don't know if this yeah. is more of a metal AM initiative than a polymer one, whether polymers will work its way into it as well. I know obviously all of those companies need plastic parts um, to you know fly their planes or whatever, but I, I do I do wonder how much of it is going to lean towards metal than polymers. Metals, obviously, you know, as a standard, like, cost more than polymers, I guess. Mm-hmm. more, even more reason for this kind of initiative to happen. But I wonder how that um, is kind of divided between metals and polymers. Yeah. No, I think you're right. And just, you know, looking through some of the, the people that you spoke to, a lot of that does does lean quite quite heavily onto metals and, and and you're right with the types of people that have already signed up to it so the types of companies that have already signed up I guess that does seem to it looks like it, that's the way it's going um just a few a few things on that though I think you know as you say it'd be it would be very interesting to see whether they hit these targets and you would like to ex- you'd like to expect some transparency transparency from these companies about how close they get to that um whether we'll get that, I, I don't really know, but it is important because we can talk all we want about additive manufacturing going into production and de-risking supply chains. But, you know, unless we get those stories at the end and say, yep, this is what actually happened. We decided to do this and it was great. Unless we actually get, you know, we learn about the failures or, you know, learn about the areas where we need to improve. It's it's never going to quite get to that. So we, we, we do need to understand that. And I think one of the good things about this is, you know, using these smaller SMEs, it is about that scaling additive manufacturing, you know, not just if you've got this this network of, of 3D printers, um, you know, a, a across the US, it does feel like that vision is actually starting to happen now where you could see uh, mass production because you can scale additive by spreading the technology out over a larger area, really ramping up those numbers. And I, and I really hope that that, that we do see um, an awful lot of that. But yeah, you, you are right, Sam, it would be we do need some kind of accountability with that. It would be interesting to see what actually happens. And I think that all the people that we spoke to, there's obviously a lot of enthusiasm around it. And I do think that's just a general enthusiasm because they're like, it's great. The government's talking about our technology because this industry has been through enough 
hype cycles which have gone one way and then dipped right down and people have got disenfranchised with it and it's not done what we want it to and this feels like another one of those moments kind of like the one that we've just had and funnily enough was talking about supply chain and how additive manufacturing could really help de-risk supply chains and could act as a as a stopgap could be an alternative tool in, in general and um, traditional uh, manufacturing supply and I think this is another one of those opportunities now where okay it's great that we've got these mega companies that want to be involved in this and we're also you know involving SMEs which we should be doing because these are the these are the companies that can really you know ha have a, a wider impact and I think it's just making sure that, that we actually that it does what it's supposed to do you know that there's there's so much enthusiasm around it and it's it's really great for this industry to have a spotlight shone on it because you know for the things that it's great for it it, it is really you know it, it's an amazing technology um and it i, I don't know about you sam but at tct360 I, I did then ask some of the um, exhibitors there the uk-based exhibitors you know they've, they've seen the news about the us what what do they think about you know the reality in the uk does should the government be putting more emphasis on what we're doing and you know of course they thought very strongly that yes they should that that would absolutely help if our government paid more attention um to the technology helped invest in it because you know in fact in your editors letter sound for this issue you know we spoke, spoke about the fact that um in our industrial report in the uk additive manufacturing was mentioned once mm -hmm. so there really isn't any kind of emphasis on the technology at all in this country and it's it's such a shame because we know we've got great research development coming out of our fantastic universities here um, in the uk and it would be amazing to see um that kind of thing repeated here as it is not just in the us but um in asia too so we've seen that in china they've had their am initiative and the various other um countries that have, have set up similar things and i just hope that we see more of this happening um across the rest of the world now as well if, if this does in fact do what it's supposed to do yeah we, we've got um an article in the works um on that that hopefully will be coming out soon where we've, mm. we've spoken to a load of people based in the uk about um that kind of thing um and so i won't go into what they've said because i'll wait for the article to come out but um i think i think you're right i think it it's <laughs> i stupid really when one country is making such a big deal of it and putting this like proper strategy in place getting like the the biggest manufacturers about to align with it and commit mm -hmm. like, pledges to it and then literally across the pond um we've got a you know a country and a government that are just not paying any attention to it and why is one you know really really backing it with this platform and the strategy and then others not doing so mm -hmm. when they all went through the same issues over the last two years in terms of supply chain and they're all facing the same issues in terms of um manufacturing and and um shipping parts from from overseas and they've all got climate targets and all of these things but it just makes sense they've all got economies that they need to to prop up and it mm -hmm. makes more sense to manufacture at home um and make that a feasible thing yeah than doing it overseas and yet there's there's some governments that are just paying basically zero attention to it or all right we've got catapult centers and they they, they do isolated investments in certain companies, but it doesn't compare to what the the Biden administration has announced over the last few months in mm -hmm. America, um, where it's really thought through. It's addressing a, a problem in terms of affordability for these 
small and medium companies um and and yeah it, it our kind of <laughs> approach to it over here pales in comparison really um but as you were saying in terms of like the opportunity for am i think maybe saying it's make or break is really sensationalist and dramatic but it feels mm. like this is a massive massive opportunity for for the industry and the technology and i think if it works and if it's successful it's it will really accelerate um the things that everybody talked about in this industry in terms of production um and that kind of thing um if it doesn't it might be a pretty big setback in terms of where it's at yeah exactly Um, but i would say i think compared to like the hype of 10 years ago the technology is much much more ready for it Mm -hmm. the industry is much more ready for it and has a much better understanding of what it takes you speak to users and they probably say it could you know it could still do with some more education than that in that respect but to, compared to where it was 10 years ago you'd like to think that the industry is more ready understand what it will take the technology's advanced um and so hopefully it should be in a position to to make a success of this initiative today's episode is sponsored by nexa 3d Here, Michael Curry, Vice President and General Manager for Nexa3D's Desktop Business Unit, discusses ultra-fast printing on the desktop with the zip, the benefits of open versus closed material systems, and creating sustainable 3D printers and consumables. So people, once they get a technology that is four to, to, to eight times faster, you see this really big behavior shift where people don't go back. You had people that were would go to Blockbuster or other rental uh, locations and get videos. You know, they might wait wait a week to get uh, a video in stock. Then along came Netflix and kind of disrupted that with on-demand CDs. And then, of course, Netflix then got disrupted by, say, iTunes from Apple. Uh, then Netflix disrupted again with the idea of, of true streaming. So you don't see people who are streaming now going back and asking for uh, a cheaper overnight download from iTunes. Like that's that's not the market anymore. And so we're seeing the same thing for 3D printers. Once you experience a much faster speed, it makes it very difficult for you to want to go back to a slower speed. Uh, so as an example, we just uh, had a client who just received the zip and he did a side-by-side print on another very common SLA desktop printer in the market. Uh, the print that he traditionally would do took him five hours. The one he did on the zip took him 45 minutes. So that's a seven times improvement. And what that means for him is that you know he can now print by the hour each day, uh, whereas before he might do one print in the morning and then kick off an overnight print. So his productivity is going to be dramatically in- increased. Or if you're trying to do a bit of a batch production of, of parts, you'll be able to get that many more batches done in a, in a given period of time. So I think that once people see that and f- experience that, it's going to be very difficult to go back to a, a, a slower process. Can you talk about the materials that Zip uses in regards to open versus closed material systems? So the Zip in itself is an open uh, platform for material development. We are really taking a close look at the various material providers in the marketplace, and we're curating and finding what we think are like really good materials. And then we will validate those, and in some cases also 
uh, bring them into our platform and, and resell them. And we, you kind of get our stamp of approval that, hey, we think this is a really good resin. It's superior to its peers in terms of performance or some other aspect, maybe price, uh, value. And we'll make those Nexa branded. But then our systems are also open. So if you want to go ahead and, and find a resin that you prefer or a color that you need, we also have an open system where you can unlock all the same controls that our internal process team uses to develop resins. I understand that another way the, the ZIP has been built is to really consider sustainability. How does the ZIP ecosystem address this? A lot of people complain in the desktop space around the amount of waste that's generated. I think mm. people in the industrial setting, maybe they, 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 they know that waste is a byproduct, but I think at the desktop, when you're using a printer as an individual, it maybe come, might come as a bit of a surprise. So the one thing that, well, two things we're doing in terms of our resin management, uh, we are using aluminum uh, bottles uh, that they themselves can be made from recycled material or they can also be recycled themselves after use. We also have the ability to refill them. And then the second one is in our vat system. So we have an interchangeable membrane and, and a solid metal vat. So when your membrane uh, exceeds its life or maybe has a puncture or something like that, you can just simply unsnap the membrane and dispose of that and snap a new membrane in. And that, that's a really big uh, improvement um, compared to some of the other systems where you're basically throwing away the entire vat. And that's a lot of uh, energy that you're throwing away in that process. Uh, so those are the two things around resin management. And then I guess lastly, the zip itself, uh, we chose to make it an all metal machine. Um, many desktop class machines are made out of plastic. So we're kind of making this sturdy, robust, rigid system. And then our goal in the future is to uh, make modular enhancements to that core. So you, you, don't, you don't end up throwing away your printer just because you want to upgrade its internal components. For more information, visit nexa3d.com. The next story is an application story from Divergent Technologies, who've announced that they're printing parts for Aston Martin. So um, they're actually printing the um, the rear subframe for an Aston Martin DBR22. Um, Sam, I knew you were kind of looking into this one. You kind of heard rumors about it beforehand, and it got announced the other day. And um, tell us about this one. Yeah. So basically, we were working on. Um getting an interview with Divergent for the next issue of the magazine, which, fingers crossed, will, will happen. Um, and as part of that, um, they were referencing some news coming. Um, they actually said in September, so I don't know whether um, they decided to kind of fast-track that announcement because they were already very unofficially telling people that something was coming. But mm-hmm. um, Aston Martin, it appears, is the, the first-name company that Divergent Technologies is working with as a tier one supplier um the ceo of divergent kevin zinger gave a, a great keynote presentation back at amug in april i think that was where he really focused on the company's plans to to become this leading tier one supplier to the automotive industry obviously the company was initially renowned for for developing its its hypercars and these then kind of acted or are acting as a like proof of concept for a lot of the applications that Divergent has been working on with a view mm-hmm. to then taking them to commercial automotive players um, and becoming their suppliers. Um, and then just a, a few weeks ago, um, or when was it? A week or two ago, mid-August anyway, Aston Martin revealed 
this uh, DBR22 V12 design concept, which was equipped, as you say, with a uh, 3D printed rear subframe. Um, and that has been manufactured uh, by Divergent in multiple pieces with um, using titanium before then bonding it to, to form the finished subframe. And this application is said to have resulted in a significant weight saving um, while maintaining the stiffness of, um, I guess, like a traditionally made counterpart. Um, beyond that, details are, are pretty scarce at the moment. I don't know whether some more will come to light in the next few weeks. Um, but the two companies, I'm sure, will be working on much more uh, 3D printed applications as their, as their relationship develops. Um, back at AMUG, Zynga told the delegates at that conference that Divergent had commenced work with uh, more than three leading automotive OEMs um, with many, and if I remember right, it was like eight out of the top 10 leading automotive OEMs also in the pipeline. Um, I don't know whether, not familiar with exactly what that top 10 OEM automotive brands looks like. Maybe Aston Martin are considered one of those, I don't know. Um, no. But they're, they're working on uh, vehicle structure programs of um, production volumes ranging from hundreds to hundreds of thousands of vehicles um so and, and they announced that um or they revealed that detail at, at AMUG and this is around the time that the company also closed a 160 million uh dollar series c round um and a lot of that uh finance is going to be leveraged to industrialize its divergent adaptive production system um or daps um which is behind the, the rear subframe for this Aston Martin and is going to be behind all of the other parts that they make going forward um, as a tier one supplier. And that leans on generative design, 3D printing and automated assembly. Um, so if all goes to plan, um, we're going to have Divergent featured in the next issue of TST Magazine, which will be out in September. And from now on, I guess, um, they can be considered a tier one supplier to the automotive industry and... Um, as per Zynga at AMUG, they've got a load of companies they're working with um, that I'm sure will be revealed down the line. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, this is such a cool one because I remember very early on working for TCT and speaking about, sorry, speaking to Divergent, um, when I guess I was very fresh to the industry, and I was like, wow, 3D printed supercars. Mm -hmm. And you don't, you know, you don't quite um, dig into what that actually means. And the way Divergent uses additive manufacturing for its, um, for its, is it DAPS or DAPS? I'm not too sure how you're supposed to say it, but the Divergent Adaptive Production System, it's a very specific way of using additive manufacturing. Um, and we know they're a supplier to these automotive companies, but here in a massive automotive brand like Aston Martin are using um, this this concept. It's just um, it just feels very it, it feels it feels very much like something that I wrote about five years ago is now actually a, a real thing. You know, this kind of thing felt very much like very future facing. And I know it's quite um, I'll say it's quite a, a, a floaty comment, um, but in um. In another piece of news from Divergent um, this month, they announced that they were following up their first uh, their first hypercar, um, the 21C, with a new version. So it's the um, it's a 21C V Max. There's a second body style of its. Um, we never know how to say this sound, but the Zynga Zynga vehicle. Zynga, it's like Zynga, a yeah. C, I think. Yeah, Zynga vehicle. Okay. Uh, then that's a second addition to, to that hypercar, which of course includes this this uh, 3D printed uh, chassis. And the founder 
of Singer Vehicles and Kevin Zinger actually said, this is a historic moment in time and one that will fundamentally change automotive manufacturing for generations to come. This isn't 10, 20 or 30 years away, the future is now. And I know that's a bit of a out there statement, but uh, for once, I'm just going to allow myself to get excited because it actually does, it does feel like that. This is a very different way of doing things. It's also a very like practical application of additive manufacturing because I know it's using generative design and stuff, but it, it's not just... It, it kind of incorporates more traditional practices within our additive manufacturing. Um, and so it's just it's just very cool to see this come to fruition with a massive uh, brand like Aston Martin. Um, and so, you know, Sam, who knows? The next James Bond could be driving around in a Aston Martin with a 3D printed chassis on it. So, you know, that's pretty cool. That is very true, actually. I hadn't thought of that, um, that angle on it, which um, I'm going to assume it will be in a future TCT magazine <laughs> two years from now, let's say, um, as part of our um, culture um, feature. Um, but yeah, I think um, what what's interesting about it is like whenever you've, if, you know, take five years, for example, when you're covering Divergent, or even when I was at that AMA keynote in, in April, like it seems very ambitious, I think, Mm. Use in terms of the design of the, the components that he was he was showing from memory they were like you know big on on generative design and, and uh topology optimization and and yet they've seemingly got the buy-in of eight of the top 10 leading automotive brands um you know and the first publicly named brand is, is aston martin so I think we can probably allow ourselves to be excited about it because <laughs> I think the biggest challenge in when we talk about these kind of applications is getting acceptance from the industry and yeah. and if they've already bought into it, then I think it will start to become a reality because if they can see the value in it, um, then then there's no reason why it won't come to fruition especially when divergent are raising sums as vast as 160 million dollars mm. it feels like as long as divergent can like ramp up and scale up its daps or daps however you pronounce it um process then it should all should all come to fruition so um yeah we'll keep an eye on it and as i say almost certainly um when these applications are announced and brought to the public, we'll we'll be reporting on it um, in TST Magazine, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And if you're not already subscribed to the magazine, which I'll of course remind you at the end of the show, subscribe uh, at tstmagazine.com where you can uh, hopefully read a feature article uh, with Divergent in the next issue. We're going to move on to the last story now because we've chatted on for such a long time. Um, so the last story is a construction story, which we've not, I don't think we've actually had yet on the podcast. So this is a nice one. Um, and construction is another one of those industries similar to those kind of uh, supercars, hypercars uh, that always felt very future facing and now seems to increasingly becoming a more of a reality. So Montana has become the first US state to give broad regulatory approval for 3D printing in construction. Um, so you may have seen previously there is a company called Apis Core um, who make these um, completely 3D printed structures. So there was a video maybe around five years ago now showing um, a house that was built in 24 hours. Um, it was just a very small structure. It's uh, made of like a, a, a concrete material and printed on a big robotic gantry. Um, and the idea is printing the outer shell of, of a house 
it was a one room building, I think from memory, maybe it had maybe another small room inside it, but it was very much um, just a kind of a, a basic building, but it was a 3D printed building. It really marked the, the first of these more kind of, um, I guess, approachable ways of using additive manufacturing for uh, real construction. So, um, so as I said, Montana has, has uh, made history as the first in the country to approve th this idea of having uh, 3D printed walls as an equal replacement for walls made with concrete masonry units or standard cord concrete blocks. So, um, of course, like this is using 3D printing and um, just as a replacement for the out, I want to say like the outer shell of, of, of a house pretty much. Um, so the approval was granted uh, by Tim Stark, a contractor based in Montana after filing documents, specifications and testing reports provided by Apis Core. Um, so Apis Core is a Florida based construction technology company that currently does hold the Guinness World Record for the largest 3D printed building globally in terms of volume. Now, 3D printed buildings are something that um, I know that we do it with a rolled eye usually, Sam, but we, there's not normally a week that goes by without some kind of press release that we get of, like, world's first 3D printed slide or something like that, <laughs> some kind of random like, construction that we haven't had yet. Um, but these buildings from this company actually feel very as close as we've ever had to seeing something like 3D printing menus for something you could potentially live in. Now, I'm not saying that you could just walk into this and, you know, you'd be fine to, to set up home straight away. You know, there's all the regular things need to go into these buildings in terms of making it a functional um, building. But um, this company has already designed uh, 3D printed walls that comply with international building codes. Um, materials have been used, been tested by independent third party uh, labs, um, by a lab in Boston and the Civil Environmental Engineering School, University of Connecticut. So they've very much been been put through the, their paces to make sure this can actually be used. Specifications as well, published by the National Fire Protection Association. So all the right things that you need to actually make this a viable um, construction material. Um, and it's just very interesting to see that this happen because as I say, you know, a 3D printed building, 3D printed construction is something that for a long time felt like a very, um, very much a far off thing, you know, be like, wow, 3D printed buildings. And it's like, yeah, that's cool. But, you know, what, what's the actual reality? You know, how is this actually going to be adopted? And I remember going years back now, you know, trying to speak to um, like construction companies in the UK that were building just like housing estates, that sort of thing. You know, I wanted to get their take on whether they were interested in 3D printing, you know, whether they saw a, a use case for it, you know, how much quicker is it, how much cheaper is it, how much more reliable is it, that sort of thing. And, but the reason why it's been, uh, why Montana is important because uh, Montana has been one of the most um, affected interior states in recent years from uh, a rise in housing prices, when, which has left people search for more affordable housing. The actual house prices increased by 23% point eight percent in 2021 whereas the national average of 17.4 percent according to the federal housing finance agency so the idea is to make these buildings uh, more accessible now at the moment there isn't any information on like how this is going to be used know how quickly this is going to come in um what is going to look like and whether it's going to be kind of a, a, a concept like um, stage or anything like that. We're not we're not too sure yet. But the fact that this has actually been approved, that these are safe, uh, quality, affordable alternatives um, to housing. It, it it's very um it, it, it sounds very promising because I've seen these kinds of houses been used on Airbnb, which feels a bit kind of novelty. You know, you see on Airbnb where you get like the wacky uh, places you can stay in and 3D printed houses seem to be filed under that sort of thing. And, you know, because it's just something a little bit kooky, but this feels very, very usable. And um, we've talked 
a lot in the magazine about 3D printing potentially being used for construction for things like, you know, areas that a disaster area where you need to uh, knock up um, shelter for in emergency situations so that people have somewhere safe to, to stay. And um, 3D printing been used in that, but talking about actually using it for real, um, I don't know how long term, but at least not not super short term um, homes is a very interesting um, turn for this. So I'm quite, um, yeah, I, I feel I feel quite excited by this one. It's been a very positive episode this time. It's, it's strange for us. Um, it's it's a, it, it feels it feels much more promising than it did maybe five years ago when we first saw these concepts uh, for these homes. It feels much more realistic, and um, I'll put a link to the to the story um, down below in the in the show notes. And you should really have a look at one of the the early videos of, of this technology and you know being able to print this this construction within twenty four hours because um, if this works, who knows how we could see this you know moving forward yeah i mean i think we're perhaps all guilty of being somewhat skeptical when it comes to mm. this kind of thing um but i think it's great to see it get such approval because it moves that like subsector of the industry forward it means the money and time spent in that space you know isn't futile or or like just for for show or for concept but it's also like good pr for the rest of the 3d printing space I oh yeah because like there are always these um, mainstream headlines around stuff like three D printed houses, um, which is likely to bring more attention to the rest of the industry. And if it all works, um, you know, and it's and it's like as you say, it's up to the up to the standard. It's safe. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's probably less skepticism around it. Maybe act as a gateway into other three D printing um, applications. It leads to more interest. Maybe even investment in the space. Um, but on the idea of a 3D printed slide, Laura, I want to, I do want to know how, in what kind of direction they build those layers up, because if you're, I don't know if you've ever been down like a slide and it's got like a raggedy thing, it can be quite painful, mm. particularly like yeah. a water slide where it's like mm-hmm. assembled in pieces and not very well done. And yeah, so I'd, 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 I'd go on, go down the slide, <laughs> I want to see what that surface is like. I think my sarcasm may have beat out my concept of reality there. Um, so 3D printed slides are not a good idea. Don't try this at home. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, p- potentially. I don't know, Sam, with a bit of good post-processing. Maybe might be was, okay. Maybe. Maybe not legs, <laughs> who knows. Okay, well, I think that's going to just about do it for today's episode before we go off on a tangent about funky uh, slides. Thank you so much uh, for listening to this episode. We really appreciate it. Um, If you want to get more Additive Insight, uh, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And for even more Additive Insight, you can register to receive our free newsletter every week uh, by going to tcmagazine.com to get that. You can also sign up for your free print subscription to TC Magazine. We'll be able to read uh, some of the features we talked about today, including an interview with Divergent, fingers crossed, and lots of other good stuff as well but um thank you again very much for listening i'll see you again soon bye